welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So you introduce yourself as, I'm Alda. I'm Alda Karen, the CEO of Mindex. Okay. <laughs> That's very straightforward. All right. So, but part of why we're talking is because you, you have made the conversation about mental health really, really very much in the forefront of your life and in your public life, definitely on Instagram, on social media, I have talked so much about mental health and topics related to mental wellness. Um, like why, why are you talking about that? Why is that important to you? Well, it's actually just an experience that I had in my life where at a very young age, when I was 19, I became the VP of uh, the biggest production company in Iceland called Saga Film. And we worked on like major Hollywood movies like Interstellar and all these crazy TV shows. And I had my dream job, my dream car, my dream apartment, my dream spouse, and I was unhappy. That's a lot of dreams to accomplish by the time you're 19. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I did everything that everyone told me would make me feel good and what society has taught me would make me feel happy. Like I just kind of did it all and I stood up left with kind of depression. And that's kind of when it hit me. I was like, all the things that I thought would make me happy don't. Like there's something I'm doing wrong here. So I gave it like a year and then I quit everything. I quit my job. I sold my apartment. I, I kept the car though, because it's a really nice car. Good car. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then I just did nothing for a whole year, but work on myself. So the only thing I did like every single day was do gratefulness walks where you just walk around your neighborhood and you tell yourself five things that you're grateful for that you have in your life right now. And then five things that you're grateful for that you don't have in your life right now, but you will have in the future. So I did all these kind of like exercises and wrote a lot of stuff down in journals and just really not, I wasn't finding myself. I was just creating myself. I, was, I believe in like creating the happiness within. That does mean you have to do a lot of research and find hobbies and friends and relationships that make you happy. But at the same time, you are creating this emotion within. It's so interesting that, I mean, I think for someone like yourself who's achieved such success at such a young age, in a sense, you know, I wonder if you weren't quite done maturing and sort of fulfilling your identity, except for these external like signs of success. Like you had this amazing job and you had these amazing sort of accoutrements to your life, but on the inside, you weren't fully done cooking, I guess, or hadn't gone through some of the like developmental maturity kinds of things that might've helped protect you from some of that depression. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think there's a lot of factors that come in. Um, but I also just think like the main thing was no one was talking about mental health kind of it was all just like you have to go to school you have to get a job you have to like get a family you have to do like it's we have this checklist for life and I worked so hard to check every single box that I 
completely forgot to ask myself what I wanted. Like, are you happy? Are you well? Are you fulfilled? Exactly. And I feel like a lot of people my age are in the sprint of checking all the boxes, but I'm the only one who's like, slow down. Like, you don't know what you want. You are constantly growing. Like, I'm not the same person I was this morning. Like, if all that 7 a.m. this morning was doing the interview, like, everyone would have left by now. <laughs> all that 3 p.m. <laughs> is a little bit more like, you know, upbeat. <laughs> but so I think we're constantly changing as human beings. So I feel like it's just so important to check in with yourself rather than just try to check some boxes of a list. And it sounds like you had that time, that year of doing lots of different therapeutic type things, but lots of introspective, lots of healing kinds of things. And so much of that time was helping you realize like, how do I listen to myself? How do I ask, am I okay? Yeah. And just how do I, like, what's the point of it all kind of? I think that was the biggest question that I had to answer. Like when you reach a certain goal or level in your life, and you don't feel fulfilled. Like the thing when we have so much expectations to someone or some event, and then after afterwards, we don't feel kind of fulfilled. It's this question of being like, okay, what's the point? Like, why am I doing this? Why do I want this? And that kind of like was the biggest question for me to answer because you really have to find what makes you happy. Because for me, the purpose of life is growth, just growing as a human being. That's like the only reason I'm here. So as long as I'm growing and enjoying it, that's all I need. And that's an interesting way to frame it because that's not a static accomplishment. That's not a, now I've, that's not a box you can check. It's always something in motion. It's very dynamic. It's a sense of I'm existing on the planet to in some ways keep moving and expanding rather than I exist to accomplish X, Y, Z. Let me check the boxes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why like my biggest, biggest, biggest driver in life and what drove me to get all these things done was that I am enough. Like I am enough as I am right now. Like I don't need to compare myself. I don't need the validation. Like I am enough. And I just keep repeating that to myself. I literally say it over a hundred times a day, I think. Do you think you could have gotten there without depression? No way. I'm so grateful for my depression. And I've had it for so long now that depression for me is now a tool. Like whenever it hits me, I have kind of shifted my view of, okay, I'm not going to sit down and binge watch a whole series on Netflix. I'm going to sit down and write everything down that's going on in my head right now. And it's that numbness that kind of drives me to actually do self-work. So if I never would have gotten this numb feeling of nothing matters, I wouldn't have realized that what I actually want in life, kind of. So I'm so grateful for it. It's been this invitation to go inside. And it's like I go back and forth with it because if I keep telling myself that I'm grateful for depression, (laughs) odds are it won't leave. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been with you pretty constantly? Yeah, I've had chronic depression now since I was 19, yeah. Okay. I'm 26. So it kind of started, I had my first experience with it when I was 16 and I, my soccer career ended. That was like the first dream that crashed and burned. I was going to be a pro soccer player, but I, I ripped my AC and my career was over. So that was kind of what hit me first, but thankfully I had just started a new school. So a lot of things were happening, but 
when it hit me on 19, I just got stuck. It, it almost sounds like the depression was a more honest voice than the success. Like to have that massive success at 19 and then to realize like the depression's like being like, no, this isn't you. This isn't who you are. This isn't what you. Yeah. It's like, it's like life, you know, life's telling you, life whispers, like when life whispers to you, it's giving you thoughts about, oh, you might not like this job. Oh, there's another job opening here. Oh, like you might not like to live here. And then when life talks to you, it gives you all these opportunities. All of a sudden, someone reached out to me with like an amazing job offer. And then when you don't listen to life's whispers or what they're te- what life's telling you, life throws a wall in your face. Mm-hmm. Life will get louder. Yes. You will literally hit a wall. And what happened to me is I had a car accident. That was life being like, okay, stop. <laughs> and I had to be like in bed for like four days the first two days in the hospital and the second two days at home before I could like start moving again and just like getting myself back on track. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm listening. What do you want me to do life? And I literally just sat down and started, that's when I started writing out my like core values kind of. And got that deeper clarity. Yeah. So you, you even since your first round of retirement have gone on to start another business and do lots of sort of professional things. Could you, I want to hear about those things, but I also, I want to ask like, what has it been like to be an entrepreneur and build a business, be actively putting yourself out there and walking alongside with depression kind of the entire time? Lonely, anxious, and so rewarding. Unpack that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I've never been as vulnerable in my life. Um, when I started, well, I started my first company pretty early, which I then, then sold, but just doing something completely just because I want to, and it makes me feel happy, makes me feel like such an imposter. Like that's, it's mostly when I get imposter syndrome, you know, when you just do something that comes so naturally to you and you're like, Oh, I'm supposed to do this. It's great. I'm basically just doing it because it makes me happy. I feel like such a big trader. I'm like, no, no, no. I should be doing like something that requires so much hard work that I just can't bear it. Like it's not. And I think when you don't feel like you're doing so much work, you always feel like such an imposter. Like you're doing something wrong somehow. You're not living up to your potential or your... Yeah. And I think that's kind of... And I realized that I was forcing myself to do a lot of like law stuff and try to like read as much as I could about taxes and everything, even if I had the money to, you know, outsource that. But if you're really an entrepreneur and you're bootstrapping, then you're going to do all of those things yourself. Come on. All the things, all the things. So like I was happy, but I was exhausted. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm doing the right thing, but I'm not doing anything else. So that's when kind of the loneliness came in. I realized I'm like, okay, I haven't met my friends in like six months. I haven't done anything. And just because I believe I'm doing the hard work and I need to do it. So that's when I kind of started outsourcing things. So I would have more time to just be social more, like not just networking social, because that's a whole other, like social is a spectrum. Like networking is on the left end. And then like being with truly with your friends and just cry laughing about something you did yesterday is on the other end. So yeah, that was when kind of like the loneliness obstacle that I had to overcome by outsourcing the hard work and not make myself feel bad about it. 
and creating space to be with people who you love and love you and who are easy. Exactly. Who don't really care. Like they care, but they don't really care about your business. They care about you. Yeah. They care about you. Yeah. And you don't have to put on this performance friendships, which a lot of entrepreneurs have to deal with every day because, you know, a lot of the time clients are not the best. (laughs) They can sometimes be a lot of work. Like I love all my clients, but sometimes they can be a lot of work. And I've told them that they know that. And there's a reason they pay you too. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But it's, that's what I love. I'm just, I'm so honest all the time, but that's also where the anxiety kicks in because, you know, you have to pay payroll. You have to, you have to make all the goals you set for the company that month. Like you have to figure out next quarter. And that's where the anxiety hits in of like, okay, this is, and you often feel like as an entrepreneur, like this is all on me now. Like if I don't make this thing work today or get this project done by tomorrow, like we might be in trouble. And I'm really grateful that I'm kind of over that phase, like that bootstrapping phase that I was in, but it's a lot of anxiety thoughts. And the way I dealt with it was I talked a lot about it and not just with like my therapists specifically, just my friends and family, like, because we feel like a lot of entrepreneurs need to keep things by ourselves and just kind of, you know, work through it. And that's why I love like mastermind talks and all these entrepreneur groups where you can just talk openly about what you're doing. And I found people who are in like similar places as me, but with totally different companies. Because you can often get a little anxious talking about your mental health company with someone who also has a mental health company because you are in competition, but it's still, I do believe that there's enough room for everyone, but you just, you just want to have that feeling of like, there's nothing I can do that will harm your business in any way, right? So I met this uh, guy who owned a Subway like shop, like a sandwich shop, like Subway, and not the train, but the sandwich. No, not the train, not the train. No. <laughs> yeah, like a sandwich shop, right? And we just connected immediately over like payroll and taxes, and just Excel spreadsheets and all these amazing things. All the fun, sexy things. Yeah, and it was just so nice to like, I talked for half an hour about just like how I felt and he talked for half an hour about how he felt. And then we did like an emotional hour of like, whatever emotions and feelings came with those projects. And it was just amazing. So it's like, I love entrepreneur groups right now. That's my thing. (laughs) So that alleviates the loneliness and some of the anxiety, but you also described some of the benefits of like starting a business as you're sort of carrying depression along with you. I'm curious about that part of it. I think it sounds like depression has helped reveal some of your your core mission and what you want to be about in your life? Yeah, it has. And in a way, I look at my depression, like I said, as a tool, but also I don't believe in any bad feelings. And I mean that in a way, like there are good feelings and then there are feelings that I can grow from, as grow with. And it's more like, you know, I can't control what happens in the world or in my life, but I can't control how I react to it. And whenever I feel anger coming on or sadness or anxiety... I have constantly have to remind myself to take that emotion and grow from it and give that emotion time to just sweep around my brain for a bit, get to my frontal lobe so I can make sense of it. And then from there, react to what I'm experiencing. And that's kind of how I actually phrase 
what I feel with the people I work with, like the freelancers and business partners is I tell them that I'm experiencing this, this feeling in my mind and it's going to reach my frontal lobe. Don't worry, I'm not mad at you. It's just a feeling that my brain thinks that I want to react to this situation. And then from that, I take kind of what depression taught me about writing things down and just sit with the emotion for a bit and then take that forward with my company. You know, I depression helped me slow down and kind of just observe and not react as much, right? It's more, that's why I'm grateful for it because this feeling of numbness, of not caring about anything, like it's really, really bad. But at the same time, when it, when you know yourself enough that you know it's coming, just observing it is so powerful. It doesn't have to be scary. There doesn't have to be a reaction. Yeah, and it doesn't have to make you do whatever you want just because you don't care, you know? I feel like a lot of people are like, okay, I'm depressed. I'm just going to be I'm just going to scream at that man that ran in front of me. Like, no. Like just observe it and don't let don't let it like take over. That's kind of my goal for every day when I feel a depression coming. Like some days I it just hits me in the morning. I have no idea, but I just can't get out of bed. It's like, no, depression's here now. And I and like nothing happens sometimes. Like it's sometimes it just shows up for no reason at all. Like it's not extrinsic. It's not like someone was mean to you or some terrible thing happened. It's not reaction to something in your environment. Sometimes it is intrinsic. It's internal. It's exactly. And I feel like it's more often intrinsic. Biochemical or existential or exactly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and like when that first happened, I got so confused and scared because I was like, what nothing, everything's going so well. Why am I freaking out right now? Why is this why can't I get out of bed? And and that's when I started doing these little steps of like talking to my brain because I believe how I kind of get over all this is like, I believe my brain is my forever roommate and like, I am not depressed. He is depressed. My brain is only like 26 years old, but like my soul is much, much older. I've walked this planet thousands of times and I'm going to walk it again. Is that I have these little conversations. So like when I wake up and I feel so depressed, which was happening a lot when I was in this phase of, is this company going to make it or not? Um, I would have this little conversation and be like, hey, okay, we can't get our bed right now, but can we get to the fritz and pick up a Ben and Jerry's and get back to bed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I would like put on a timer. I'd be like, okay, we're going to snooze for 30 minutes and we're going to eat ice cream in bed for 30 minutes. And then we're going to check back in with the brain. Okay. <laughs> it was like, okay. You know, these like little things that just made me a little bit happy and like these childish things, right? I would maybe watch an old cartoon that I hadn't seen in years, like Family Guy or something. And just like make me these little happy steps. And then I'll be like, okay, it's 10 a.m. Yeah, you know what? I can get dressed. <laughs> it's, a, it's so gentle. And I think once we start to accept that our, our emotions, our brains, they have a place within us, but they don't have to be the only voice or the loudest voice that they can be counterbalanced with our soul, for example, or the, the wiser, deeper parts of us. So when we feel those parts of us that are like in torment or in sadness, or sometimes even just having a good old fashioned temper tantrum, we can be more gentle, kind of like we would with a, with a toddler or a young child and just say like, wow, I see your big, big feelings. And let's sit together for a bit until you feel better or we just decide to turn on the cartoons. And I think if, if more of us were, especially entrepreneurs, brothers and sisters, like if more of us were just a little more gentle with those more fragmented, more fragile, more 
emo parts of us, instead of like muscling through and having a narrative that's like, get the f- out of bed, like, which is so much what I think a lot of high achieving people do. They might have a tender moment and they're like, I don't have time for this. Muscle through, muscle through, muscle through. Because they have this feeling of like, I'm not disciplined. Yeah. Oh, I need a different morning routine. Like what does Tim Ferriss say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tim Ferriss. But it's like, you can't always hack it. Sometimes just sit with it and let it pass and let it mature and let it feel better. And then you get up and do your things. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's such a big myth about self-discipline about, okay, you have to do this. Like I have to meditate at for at least 10 minutes every morning. I have to drink like a full glass of water with lemon before I like eat anything else. It's like discipline is also just observing what's going on in your mind. Yes. Like just taking a step back and just giving yourself time. And like you said, be gentle with yourself. Like you are your best friend. That's it. That's literally all you have to do. Kind of all you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've taken many of the lessons of your own depression and your own um, just ups and downs throughout the course of your life as a as a human and as a professional and have really translated those into your new business, which is to use virtual reality as a resource for helping people train their minds, be more comfortable in their own minds, do some of this kind of mindfulness practice that we're talking about. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on. Uh, what I'm working on right now is I'm very excited about. We're working on this uh, staycation idea in VR. So basically we're going to, we just rented a bus and we're going to redecorate it as like these small virtual reality experiences as a staycation. So I will park the bus in front of my client's offices and then they can come downstairs during lunch and have like a 10 minute break on a beach in Cuba. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> and what's the point of that? Like besides it being fabulous? The point of that is unplugging and recharging. Yeah. Like legit, just recharging. I mean, I love meditation and I love everything about just stopping for a bit because I feel like I was asked the other day, I was like asked, when's the last time you were bored and you didn't distract yourself? Like you were just bored and you didn't go on your phone, you didn't watch TV or you didn't read. When did you just sit down and be bored? And I literally couldn't answer. I was like, I, I haven't been bored since I was a child. And this person was like, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, maybe. Like that's why we can't observe ourselves right. And that's why we're going after things that in the end won't make us happy because we're never just with ourselves. We're moving too much. Yeah, I haven't I haven't hung out with myself in a long time. I think there's something so interesting about the virtual reality process too, because it does play with our senses and our sensory information in a way. And I recently got to visit you in your office in New York and did a little trial. And the one that, that you were working with at that time was helping people work through apprehension about public speaking. And so there's this whole scene within the virtual reality experience where you you see and hear these different cues. And then I happen to mention that I'm nervous about heights and you put me on top of a skyscraper. <laughs> but um, yeah, still sorry about that. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Still breathing. I clean the vomit off my shoes. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like why I started this VR was because experience is the teacher of all things, right? And if you can't get yourself to experience it in actual real life, then just experience it in VR first. Do it a hundred times in VR 
because the, actually right now the brain doesn't know the difference between virtual reality and actual reality. So your brain will give you all the emotions that you would usually have, right? Because you felt a little tingly when you were on top of a skyscraper. I think I reached out and like tried to yeah. grab onto something. <laughs> yep. My brain was fully there and my body was like, why are you up here? Get down, get down, get down. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I love working with virtual reality, just like having, and especially the public speaking, having people who are entrepreneurs who have to present their company come in and they have this full speech prepared and they do it a hundred times over and they have like, oh, someone laughed in the audience. Oh, someone coughed in the audience. Oh, someone looks bored in the audience. And it doesn't f- up with their flow. That's so important. And I feel like that's what experience gives us that nothing else does kind of. I feel like you can seek wisdom in, by isolating yourself with books and source resources, etc. But I feel like street smarts and like life knowledge and presenting yourself is something that you have to experience and train. So that's why I feel like a VR can be like a big tool there. And I think it's, you know, from, from where I sit as a therapist and as helping some, you know, many folks sort of face some different challenges in their lives, whether it's apprehensions about certain kinds of experiences or being able to go into different kinds of experiences with more calm and more mindfulness. One of the limits, of course, of what I can do in a day is provide those experiences for people and, you know, lots of people are beginning to think about how to use virtual reality effectively with therapy. But I think what's so interesting about what you're doing is, is it speaks to so many different kinds of challenges and not, you know, not necessarily like your, your phobias or your like, now we're going to look at virtual reality of spiders, but to really thinking about not just treating, but also enhancing, how do we make things easier for people uh, make things possible, provide support for people to accomplish their goals by using their minds. Yeah. Train your mind. It's just mental training. Literally, it's all it is. And we're entering this kind of new age of mental health training, I feel like, with everything that's going on in the world. Like robots are taking over a lot of jobs, which means humans will go to more jobs that require human connection. And jobs that require human connection require a certain amount of like mental health awareness and how you react and respond to other people. So I feel like VR is going to be big in that space as well. Just training employees, like we've trained sales representatives. We did that, which was very interesting where they were pitching themselves kind of. So they would start by pitching in VR and then we would play them back their own pitch. And this one guy was like, why do I keep clicking my pen? I need to stop clicking my pen so much. (laughs) So it's small things of like, you are your own best teacher about yourself, right? It's kind of like if you experience yourself long enough, you can kind of be the more the best possible version of yourself. It gives us the possibility of looking both outside, but also inside. Like as we watch ourselves or we experience ourselves within virtual reality, we have the empathetic experience too of what it felt like to be there and sort of clicking the pen. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> like looking at yourself, it's really, it's so impactful training. Like it impacts you in ways like I'm still thinking about it and I can do it whenever I want, but I'm just scared to do it because I'm like, okay, I need to like work on this thing right now. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I just like get into the VR and I do like some kind of speeds and then I watch myself do it. It's like cringy, but once you get over that kind of scared feeling of literally experiencing yourself, because it makes your presence so real, is that you learn so much about yourself. And I think in the future, actually, like 
I would really like to set up a VR program where you can have a talk with yourself. I think that would be amazing. Just like, okay, Alda, how do we feel today? Like, oh, we don't feel really good. But you know, yesterday we didn't like have like a whole conversation. It's like the, the ultimate in vivo journaling. Yeah. <laughs> Dear diary. Yeah. Dear Sherry. <laughs> and like the avatar in the VR remember what you said like a week earlier. Be like, hey, remember when you said that in the diary? Like, where's that now? Like, you are enough. Keep going. So like, I would give myself a pep talk, but like this outer body experience. That's amazing. One of the things that's so beautiful about what you've done is you've taken what some people might perceive as this like very painful part of life, which is living with chronic depression. And you've turned it into something that both is like joyful and fun for you, but also really helps other people get more comfortable in their own minds. Which is like, you know, the definition of resilience. Like, Thank you. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, you know, I often get asked how I did it. It's the mindset change that helped me the most was I stopped being a victim of it and I start being a student of it. And that's really what changed. It was not, I didn't like pick myself up from the ground. There was no, like, I don't feel like there was any hard work, to be honest. Like there's no right. No dramatics and heroism. No. I mean, I live such a regular life. Like it's boring, <laughs> but I feel like it's, there has, doesn't have to be, I mean, all of us have some kind of traumas, of course, but there's no right amount of self-work. It's just one day you wake up and you're like, okay, I feel better now. And you go with that. Like it's a day-to-day basis, right? But at the same time, it's just this huge mindset change of being like, okay, I am not feeling sorry for myself. I'm not going to let this depression hold me back any longer. I'm going to study it and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to grow. Sometimes I'm really, really good at it. Sometimes I'm really, really bad at it. And that's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not, yeah, I love the, the distinction between what you're saying and that is... Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Have you seen that meme where like everything's on fire and like, this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> oh, so if people are jazzed about your work and want to learn more about what you're doing, how can they safely, appropriately internet stalk you? Well, there's nothing safe about what I'm doing though. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you on top of a skyscraper, then drop you off. <laughs> With a robot. There was a robot. <laughs> Go see Alda. I promise it'll be fine. <laughs> People will be like, all of a sudden, your clientele will double after they saw me. Oh God, Alda just ruined me. So scared of everything. I have PTSD from Alda. That's my way. Um, well, it's mindgymnyc.com is our website. And awesome. I, I like Mind Gym, and it was, yeah, because it's basically just a gym for your mind. The workout, yeah. I'm working out certain areas of your brain enhance your skills. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, telling us your story, talking about your experience and the way that you are rocking it in your business. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. When you're, when is our next VR session? I'm so excited. I don't know. Next time in New York, I'm calling you up. <laughs> I have a plane crash that I'm really excited to try. <laughs> a plane crash? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it's so much fun. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. 
You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.